Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. To the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Price. That is Zachary. And wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if you want to listen to something like that on the reg, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple and Spotify. When you get there, rate, review, but most importantly, subscribe if you do subscribe. You won't miss our shows when we drop them on Mondays. And speaking of Mondays, it is one right now at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That means we are live on YouTube at the A to Z Sports National YouTube channel. If you want to watch the show and comment on the show and be a part of the show like all of our amazing commenters and viewers, you got to go over to that A to Z Sports National YouTube channel and uh, subscribe. Hit that notification bell, and then you'll be notified when we go live. Uh at Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports.com for all the stuff Zach writes. We're also on Facebook, Twitch, and all this other stuff. You know where to find us. All right. Another interesting weekend uh, of sports for me, Zach. I've I've filled people in on the saga of myself and, and the Texas Rangers. They're my boys. Um and they won one of the wildest World Series games I've ever seen on a walk-off homer. It was amazing. I was jumping around at 1 a.m., uh, going crazy. Then they got their butt absolutely handed to them on Saturday. So that was a little bit of a swing of emotions there. And then Tennessee beats Kentucky, which was really nice. Uh, went wire to wire. Obviously, that that's going to be uh, a big part of the show tonight that we're going to uh, discuss, talk about. Um, and then on Sunday, <laughs> Will Levis goes out there, former Kentucky quarterback, uh, and lights it up for the Tennessee Titans, um, which I don't think any of us saw coming. We clowned on him pretty hard on this show. Um, and let me just say, I apologize for nothing. I will not back down. You cannot make me. I don't care. Uh, but I mean, as far as Levis goes, it wasn't impressive, uh, an impressive showing. I will say that much. Yeah, it's kind of, we were talking before the show about how uh, I'm a Charlotte Hornets fan and uh, Brendan Miller from Alabama was their draft pitch. So I had to go from booing this man to cheering for this man. And you as a Titans fan, you're very much in the same same situation. And and I know with the Brendan Miller situation, he's he's played pretty well his first couple of games with the Hornets. I couldn't be happier. So I'm, I'm interested to know how you feel if you're conflicted about this Will Levis game. Or, if, I mean, like it, honestly, I'm still in, like, wait-and-see mode with the whole thing. Cause, yeah. I mean, what it what it, what is that that meme that's like, oh, no, the worst person you know made a good point? <laughs> it's, like, it's like that. I, like I said, we clown Levis like crazy. 
and and I was beside myself with the Titans when they they chose him. Um, and yeah, it, it could very well be one of those situations where you light it up because there's no there's no tape on him. It's totally fresh. They they called the game in a completely different way than they they really called it with Ryan Tannehill. It was kind of these like sort of building confidence, short short passes and things like that. It was it was short passes and then it was bombs over the top and he landed a few of those, obviously four touchdown passes. And it it was I will say legitimately I I was impressed. At the same time, Marcus Mariota had crazily actually had a slightly even better performance than Levis had in his debut and ultimately he ended up not being the guy. So, you know, you, you just never know. Now if he if he can carry it over into more games, maybe I'll I'll give up the ghost a little bit there and and say that I was wrong. But just uh, initially, sometimes you see that that rookie spark in their very first game, but it just doesn't stick around. If he if he can make it stick around, I'll I'll be very impressed, especially because the, the Titans' offense is not exactly the most impressive set of dudes ever compiled. Uh, but yeah, that, that's pretty much my thought on it at the moment. Yeah, well, hopefully, uh, hopefully for your sake, he can keep it going. Or for Titans fans, I know they've kind of been through it this season. Not to get too much on the Titans, but it's it's been a rough go there with all the rumors well, and sending all franchise favorite players. And he Kevin made Byard. he made the game watchable, which for the first that was the first time that's happened in two years <laughs> or something, and so. I'll give him credit for that. You know, yeah. you know what's funny is that as we get into this here in a minute, Devin Leary on Saturday night looked like uh, what I think everybody thought Will Levis would look like against Tennessee last season. Yeah. Uh, when Will Levis was just a, a total dud out there. I think uh, a lot of that was obviously his offensive coordinator that seemed like he had no business being in the SEC or even being an offensive coordinator, had no no idea how to actually use Will Levis's arm talent uh, against Tennessee's secondary that, that struggled at times last season. But Liam Cohen, to his credit, he steamed up some stuff for uh, for Kentucky on Saturday night that really gave the Vols defense some trouble. And uh, just Tim Banks, the game plan he had was not was not the the one for uh, perfect one for Liam Cohen's game plan. Yeah, not uh, not Banks's final finest work there. But uh, I, honestly, on that note, let's get into it and talk about that Kentucky game, Tennessee. Uh, I want to say squeaks by, but they really didn't. I mean, they led the entire game and and ultimately even covered the spread. Uh, but let's break it down right after I tell you about our first great sponsor, Zen Sports. It is football season, and it's time to switch to Zen Sports, the fastest-growing sportsbook in Tennessee, changing the bonus game with their cash rewards program. When you sign up for Zen Sports with code A to ZTN, earn a welcome bonus that gives you 5% cash back on your total betting volume for your first 15 days of betting. Uh, it's an insane offer, but there's more. If you have friends who bet on sports, share your Zen Sports referral bonus code with them and you will earn 3% of their betting volume for their first six months of betting on Zen Sports. And there is no cap on how much you can earn. So what are you waiting for? Stop wasting time and money on other sports books. When you could be earning real cash rewards with Zen Sports. Download uh, today on the App Store or at zensports.com in your wallet. Well, thank you later. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. Terms and conditions apply. You must be 21 or older in Tennessee to bet. That is Zen Sports, code A to Z, T-N, A-T-O-Z-T-N. Zen Sports, appreciate them. Now to uh, that Kentucky game. It uh, It was an interesting one. 
for a whole bevy of reasons. For, first and foremost, I think the thing that it comes to mind for everybody is the way that Tennessee's offense played. Joe Milton, really good performance. And I'll, I'll start here for me personally. Good friend uh, had a wedding on Saturday night at 5 p.m. <laughs> that I had to go to. Uh, and so that's where I was. And we left that wedding with about maybe eight minutes left in the game. And I got to listen to good old Bob uh, call the game on the radio <laughs> on the way back home. Um, you wouldn't know that Tennessee, uh, you know, made some really nice plays down the stretch with the way that he called the game, but he did call the game uh, adequately. But um, so I, I, I will I, say on that note real quick, it was fun. Me, you and, and Austin in our group text, uh, Austin and I trying to describe to you what was happening and, <laughs> I can only imagine what you were picturing on half of these plays and and sequences that we were throwing out there because it was Tennessee led the whole game, but it was definitely a roller coaster of emotions throughout that game, depending on you know if Kentucky had the ball, the situation. Yeah. It was. Uh, I, I can only imagine being in your shoes. It, it was interesting because I saw I saw everything that y'all said. I I heard the end of Bob's call and Tennessee wins, so that that's all I had really taken in of like play by play. Of this game, I had seen essentially no video. Uh, at one point, the so the service was really bad. We were out in the middle of nowhere for that wedding. The service was bad, and it kept. There were like a couple of spots where I could get a couple of spots where I couldn't. And at one point, I refreshed and actually got it. And it said uh, Tyler Barron had caught a pass, and it was. I mean, it was uh, Keaton, I guess. Yeah. And uh, and they had like mixed him up. So I was all over the place as far as this goes. Now the thing that I was going to mention is that I saw a bunch of tweets. I, I don't know that it was a ton, but I saw some. Twitter, like, populated them for me on that For You feed uh, about how, why don't we bring Nico in? This is terrible of Milton. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe Milton. And then I, I watched the game the next day. I watched it in its entirety. Uh, and, and, you know, got to pause and kind of look at everything pretty closely. Milton played really well. <laughs> I don't know... Maybe it's easy for me to say that because I wasn't watching it in the moment at the time. And you you have hindsight 2020 on some stuff. Like there was a play that a lot of people pointed out where they were like, he missed a guy that was wide open. Well, I got to just look at it on Twitter and I was like, honestly, he got, do you know the one I'm talking about? A lot of people posted it. I, and it, I can't remember exactly. He, he was going through his progressions. You could watch him turn turn his head, but his passing play, he goes one, two, and then the pass rush is in his face. And the one that was open was three, but he didn't have enough time to get to three. And I don't, the the picture of it I saw didn't have like a timestamp on it. I don't know exactly when it was in the game. Uh, but I looked at it and people were like, can you believe he, this guy was wide open? Milton didn't hit him. And I was like, he had a guy four inches from his face when he got to that third read there. And so, like I said, it was hindsight 2020. I was watching it with kind of like easy eyes where I wasn't stressed out, freaking out. Um, but uh, yeah, it just, I thought, I even texted you guys this. I was like, I'm only at halftime. Milton played like very nicely in this game. I, did it feel that way live? I think at times with the the way, you know, the offense struggling in the red zone, I think you kind of default to, is this on the quarterback? In in the moment, you might do that. I never really felt that way necessarily. For me, the red zone issues are a, 
a team issue, a play calling yeah. issue. One time in the red zone, I can't remember if it was in the second half, it was just a disastrous set of play calls. And Josh Heupel, on the Josh Heupel show, to his credit, when he was reviewing the game with Bob Kessling, kind of kind of noted that. It was like this was just a not, not a good set of play calls for the looks that the defense that Kentucky came out there with. And it just wasn't what they were expecting from Kentucky. So I think it's one of those things where you can scream about the play calls, but it's kind of like in baseball when a good hitter is going against a good pitcher and you get struck out. Like sometimes you just got to tip your hat. You know, he, he got you on that one. And Tennessee, has, I mean, Kentucky has good coaches as well. Like Mark Soups and Brad White, they've, that defense is always pretty tough to play. I know, can, you know, Tennessee's carved them up the last couple of years, but they've had some really nice games and game plans and it's kind of got them on that series. So I never really felt that in the moment with him because I thought, Watching it live, I was like, these are some really nice plays that Joe Milton's making. He's moving out of the pocket. He's stepping up. He's sensing the pressure. He's eluding it. He's taking off when he needs to, picking up first downs. We saw him throwing on the run. The one clip that's went around Twitter of him kind of directing Dante Thornton back to the middle of the field, throwing across his body, barely out of the reach of the defender to really where only Thornton could catch it. So many levels to that that's great. The escapability of Milton, the recognition of that play, and, and to get Thornton back to the middle of the field, and the chemistry that I think you're starting to see between those two, which is something we've kind of mentioned a little bit that was going to take some time to build. Starting to get there a little bit. Uh, so, no, I thought I thought watching it live, he played pretty well. I mean, he wasn't missing many passes. You didn't really realize that till the end of the game, though. Because when those drives kind of stalled out, sometimes it was because they just they ran the ball a couple of times early and didn't pick up anything, and especially in the red zone. And that's you know that's not necessarily on Milton at all. I don't know, you know who who that's on as far as keeping that or handing it off or, or deciding to throw or not. But I thought it was one of the best games he's played. You know the game against Alabama the previous week was also a pretty well played game, except for the second yeah. half when kind of things went haywire from a play calling standpoint. I think. Uh, but we saw Milton do some really good things in, in that game, too. And yeah, I think it all just comes down to the fact that he's healthy now. The guy ran for 25 yards the month of September, or most of the month of September, because he was banged up and just didn't tell anybody. So I think that's something else that people haven't, haven't really put into context. Yeah, Darren in the comments mentions he's been banged up, but he's looking much healthier. Uh, I think that's that's exactly right. And <laughs> Elias mentioned my, my state of mind at that, that wedding. He said, so you had no consistent idea of down and distance constantly, constantly had to wait to find out if there was some crushing reveal of a fumble. That really is the worst, uh, where you're, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. And then it's like interception and you're, uh, and they were uh, very just emotional text from us as well. Oh like, yeah. us going through the <laughs> moment. So you really don't know the, the tone of the game at all. You, you probably did not realize that Tennessee was pretty much in control of that game. There's a few moments where you're like, this could go south. I think Austin at one point was like, they're going to lose this game when things kind of started in that one. I think it was the second or third, third quarter, maybe when things kind of got yeah, a little shaky there. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, you're like, yeah, they got a score. They haven't shown that they can score, but you saw the, uh, you know, the first. I tweeted this out. the The play to Chaz Nimrod. I'm sure you saw where the defender kind of tripped up a little bit, but Nimrod already had him beat. It's like that's the type of play we saw last season to high hit over and over and over. And we saw Milton make those plays in the the Orange Bowl. It feels like we've been waiting on that exact play, that type of touchdown all season. 
And that touchdown, when it happened, was such a relief. It felt like like that's what we've been waiting to see from this offense every single week. And and it only happened once in that game, but just the fact that it happened on the road against a good defense, it was it was a huge relief, it felt like, because it's like they still have that in the bag. It's still there. It just hasn't worked out so far this year for whatever reason. Yeah, it, it just felt like the pieces were clicking into place a little bit more. The the thing that's glaring when you go back and watch is the red zone offense. And it, it's like, there's just some sort of block there where for them to score a touchdown, they have to be at the 20 they, or further out. A running back has to break off a run because it seems like that's all the play calling is allowing them to do. And I'm not sure why that's the situation because the only time that Milton's really gotten in trouble and, and thrown some interceptions this season has been when he's kind of tried to throw the ball 25 yards down the field and there's been a safety kind of lurking that he didn't recognize I feel like when you condense the field because he's got such a great arm that he can fit it into those tight windows like we saw that pass to Brew McCoy in the orange bowl against Clemson that window was very narrow I think it was the first touchdown of the game against Clemson he can do that in the red zone like you've got to trust him to make those throws and you've still got I know you don't have Brew out there but you've got Jacob Bourne you've got McAllen Castles You've got some guys that can make those plays. Just let it fly. Let let him let him go out there and make something happen. You you've got to start scoring. You're not going to beat Missouri or Georgia, I don't think, if you don't you know score on those red zone opportunities. One hundred percent. And and I hope that the trust is being built because it it has been clear in weeks leading up to this that there was major distrust of just Hypel kind of going. We're just, I could call these plays and they're not going to go the way that we want, you know, that kind of distrust. And hopefully that's being dispelled because, because just when you see what one was glaring where I went, Oh, that that's different. That there's, there's your change right there. And it was essentially the game winning play two ish minutes left third and seven, maybe. You got to get it, and the game's essentially over. Uh, and Milton runs, and so just good blocking, and he makes a good decision, and he runs, and and that was good. I mean, he's super athletic. Not a play that I was surprised that he could make, but he slid down inbounds. And I looked at that piece of that, and I went, oh, that's situational awareness. Look at that. That's that's something that we, that we had just, you know, been dogging him about all season. And finally, he shows it in the biggest spot in a road game where he makes a great play. And you just go, oh, there it is. It's all together. He play, he's putting it all together. That's that's the definition of ha- of putting it all together, is that he made the play, had the situational awareness, did the whole thing, wrapped up in one nice little play there. And that was incredible to see. I, I just was really uh, impressed as far as that goes. And hopefully that tears down some of those walls with the distrust or whatever was going on there and that they, they did just let it fly, let it go. The dudes are there. And, and maybe, you know, Thor, uh, I, I heard uh, in some of the analysis of this game, this was some that I saw before I watched. And then it, it kind of made sense when I did watch it, Thornton going, going to the outside instead of being in the slot, maybe more comfortable there. And maybe that that's a piece clicking into place. Maybe he still has to show he had too many drops for me to just be all in on Dante Thornton already. But, uh, and he, by the way, he was watching our Austin and 
Kromp on the live show and commented on the live show after the game from the locker room, I think. Maybe he'll watch this. Uh, and if you do, what's up? Good to see you. Uh, I I hope that that is that that piece clicking into place. That would be amazing because he's he just has the physicality. It's all been there. It just hasn't it hasn't glued together. And, and maybe this will be the start of that. And what a time, a great time for that to happen. Yeah, I think I think that goes hand in hand with this comment from from Rado twenty two here that that talks about Milton only starting sixteen games, you know, or however many games in his college career from Michigan into you know his time at Tennessee. I do think there is something to that because there's no substitute for game reps and and playing in an offense for a whole season. In Michigan, it was weird. He had Pep Hamilton that brought him in, then he left after one season. He had a COVID year. It was just a not a great situation. You come in 2021, you get hurt, you lose the job, or Hendon Hooker takes the job. And then Hendon Hooker, you know, it's a seven and six season. They go seven and six this year, you're not too happy. But Hendon Hooker kind of had the benefit of that being, you know, after all the NCAA stuff, nobody's expectations were that high. He got to go through some growing pains. Hendon Hooker was good in 2021, but he wasn't 2022 Hendon Hooker by any means. And neither were the receivers on the team. And he got that whole year to really build chemistry with. Jalen Hyatt, Ramel Keaton, and and Cedric Tillman, and some of the other guys that were there, you know, had had stepped up. Fortunately, in in those roles that season, but going into twenty twenty two, he just had so much more of a base to work with, a, a knowledge of the offense, being in it for a whole season, and playing against Alabama and Georgia and some of these tough games in Florida. Twenty twenty two came; it wasn't brand new to him. So even though Joe Milton's been around the program for for two years before this season hadn't been his offense where he's going out there and actually playing in these games every single week. You know, when he was coming in games, it was mop-up duty when the outcome had already been determined, except for the Ole Miss game. That was the only time that he was really thrown into a pressure situation. So it was going to always take a little bit of time, especially with all the new pieces that this offense has. And you you take Brew McCoy out of the equation, who was kind of like a, a Jawan Jennings-type guy that you could go to in those moments because you knew that if you got him the ball in like a little five-yard route, it's a good chance he's going to create another five yards and get a first down just with the physicality he plays with. So that that safety net was gone. You're moving guys around, trying to figure out like a Dante Thornton. Where does he belong? He hasn't been in this offense either. You know, he's a junior coming in from Oregon, but hadn't played a ton there either. Uh, three or 400 receiving yards his sophomore season. Having to learn this offense, where to be with, with Joe Milton, who's learning how to be the starter along with a lot of these other guys that are learning how to be starters. Uh, I think it was always going to take some time. That's it's not an excuse for drops or some of the plays that have been made, but it's understandable that it was never going to be perfect and just like it was last season. I think that was an expectation that, that fans and ourselves probably set and just kind of expected because of the way Joe Milton played in that Orange Bowl. But it was a different team, different players. A lot of those guys are gone. You know, I think now we're we're kind of starting to see them get more comfortable with each other. They're still having to play a little bit different just because defenses are playing them so much different, trying to take away the pass. I mean, they're they're saying beat us with the run. Every team, I think, I think A&M, Alabama, Kentucky, they all have good run defenses. And I think they all think we're the team that can stop them in the run. We like our chances better there than we do over the top. And I think that's probably a good strategy because you are holding Tennessee to fewer points this season, which improves your chances of beating them. You're making them, you know, burn more clock on some of these possessions. 
But Tennessee's shown that they can still create some explosive plays uh, using the run game. And ultimately, Tennessee's six and two. Like they haven't been six and two after eight games since 2006. That that's 17 years since they've had. Besides last season, outside of last season, it's the only it's their best start through eight games since Philip Fomer was in town. And you go on social media and. I mean, I've even seen people that are like, I'm out on Josh Heupel, this guy. It was a one-year wonder. I'm like, this is the craziest talk I've ever heard. Like, how are you spoiled after one season <laughs> when we lived through Derek Dooley and Butch Jones and freaking Jeremy Pruitt and three and seven and four and eight and all these disastrous games and the <clears> laughing stock <throat> of college football and you're mad about six and two because they lost to Florida and Alabama on the road uh, with a new team? I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. You ever heard that Louis C.K. bit where he's talking? It was like old. And he's talking about Wi-Fi on planes, and he's like, there was Wi-Fi on this plane. I was on the internet in the sky, and then it went out. And the guy beside me goes, oh, what the hell? What? I I wanted to use this. And, you know, Louis C.K.'s like, how quickly does the world owe you something? This is the newest, most amazing technology we've ever seen, and suddenly you're pissed off that it's not working. I think Tennessee fans, me included, less I I mean, yeah, we've been I'll there. Throw like, my hat right in that ring. We've tested you, frustrated about plays oh, and games and stuff. Yes, we have. I mean, you you get you get that taste of the glory and you go at every year. Let's do that every single year. No more of this seven and five, five and seven garbage. We're not doing that anymore. This it's it's about, you know this eight eight and oh in october like last year six and two in october no no more no more of that bush jones nonsense uh it's kind of a paradox because it's what we do in this world you you kind of by nature compare things you compare seasons you compare teams but it is the absolute worst and dumbest thing that we can do compare tennessee's progress to the way Georgia did it or the way Alabama did it or the way Florida's done whatever they've done or any other program, like every situation is so unique. There's so many different factors. I mean, there's so many moving parts with coaching staffs, a roster of over a hundred players, support staff, recruiting, uh, where you recruit from all these factors that go into building a championship program, that there is no one blueprint to do it. And you look at Georgia and you're like, why can't, why can't we do it as quick as Kirby did? He was in the championship in the second season. It's like, well, Mark Rich had them winning 10 games a year almost for 15 years. Tennessee was had not won 10 games in any year for 15 yeah. years. So, I believe they won three games the year before Heupel came in. A uh, little bit of a different situation there. Uh, but I, I thought it was a great point. I think it was Aaron Torres, I want to say. He's just kind of a media personality at like Fox or something. Um, but he, he made the point that it's, it's going to go completely unnoticed essentially, but Josh Heupel, the coaching job that he's done to take a team that, that blew every team away through the air last year and just turn that style completely on its head. You know, he's still tempo tempo, like the, the foundation is still there, but he turned that completely on its head and suddenly Tennessee's a, a hard nose run first team. And th- they're not just. It's not like they're just trying to do that. Like Jeremy Pruitt tried to run a football team <laughs> like Saban did, and he sucked. You know, and here Heupel is not just trying to be a hard-nosed run for his team. He's running for 250 yards on you. 
and he's running all over you. And he's got a trio of running backs that are killing everybody. And it's it's really I thought it was a great point by by Torres and, and um, deserves to be pointed out. And and it probably is going to be ignored by the people that just want to be mad about the coach or whatever. But it's it really it's it's been nice. Yeah, it's funny because they're they're playing pretty good defense this year, too. And I know they they carved up the, the secondary a little bit on Saturday night. They still only scored 27 points, which on the road in the SEC not too bad, especially when you give up 372 passing yards. But look, I mean, Kentucky had a really good game plan. It wasn't what Tennessee was expecting. Kind of like South Carolina last season, but they were able to limit the damage. Like Heupel said, you know, in the post-game and interviews and on the Josh Heupel show, they hit them with a lot of play-action stuff that they just weren't ready for. Tennessee was playing a lot of young guys. You know, guys like Elijah Herring and T. Lander and Aaron Carter, they're out there on the field and and they're having to learn. You know, they're going through some growing pains, learning how to play some of those. I mean, Aaron Carter kind of looked out of place a few times, but the guys was a high school running back. He's a true freshman out there. He's going to be a really good player, a really good player for Tennessee, especially once he figures it all out. You just throw all that into the mix, and it was just it was a tough game for for Tennessee's defense. The pass rush wasn't really getting home. There were some holds that that once again were not getting called. A few times that Tyler Barron definitely could have got to to uh, Devin Leary if if his neck wasn't being bent backwards by an offensive lineman whom he had already beaten. It's happened several times, and you know it is what it is. That happens. There might have been a few of those that, that Tennessee got away with that we ignored. Uh, it, it's been frustrating as of late, but that factored into not getting home a couple of times and. That pass rush isn't getting home. It's hard for that secondary, and, and especially you're without your your best corner. All of a sudden, Kamal Haddon, who'd been having a, such an amazing year, one of the best players in the SEC, you lose him for the season. Danico Slaughter's not really a, a good cover guy down the field, so they beat him a couple of times. All that stuff kind of just kind of added up to a tough night for the defense. But all in all, you still only gave up 27 points. And yeah. you talk about that with the rushing offense. It's like this team this season is winning games the way Jeremy Pruitt wanted to. <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. <laughs> yeah. Pruitt could have only dreamed of winning games the way that Heifel has won this season. Uh, that's a great point. Well, and let's let's talk. You, you mentioned it there. I want to talk about the defense and then also about those penalties. So oh, the penalties. So, so much talk about that after that game. And I, I was one of the, the people griping on it. Um and uh, let's let's talk about it in this next segment. But I did want to mention there were just a couple of quick comments here right before we we go out. Yeah, here, here it is. Elias, I, I do like this point. He says, can we take a minute to chuckle at all the pundits that kept insisting that Shane Beamer compares in any way favorably to Heifel? I mean, to Beamer. Like, people, people are talking right now, like, South Carolina better not lose to Jacksonville State. Oof, that's... That stuff's about to be in, boy. When, it's crazy because I think Spencer Rattler was really keeping that guy afloat. I, I don't know what happened. Was. We talked about it. You can go back and watch it about the sign-stealing stuff at Michigan and how much South Carolina might have known that night uh, against Tennessee last year. I, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know. But Spencer Rattler has played well you know, at, through spurts. And really, without him, without the him playing kind of out of his mind a few games, boy, Shane Beamer – Records looking pretty rough at South Carolina. There's some games they don't win last season. They're two and six this year. 
the recruits are probably going to start decommitting soon if you don't if you don't figure it out fast because yeah. you're in year three. You can't go two and six in year three when you're supposed to take a step forward. Uh, you just can't. So that's I don't know. I don't know where you go from there if you're South Carolina. It's a tough spot to be in for those fans. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, but yeah, we're we're laughing all the way to the bank over here. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Shane Beamer is one of the more just. I don't know the guy. I mean, I don't have anything personal against him. I, I mean, he might be a great guy. I have no idea. But he is one of the stranger guys that exhibits some toddler-like behavior. I, I don't yeah. – he has the entitled thing down mm. pat. Like, you can tell he is the son of a legendary head coach who thinks he's owed a little bit more than he probably deserves. That's un- deeply unlikable. Uh, but then – and then just uh, Titans YouTuber says, does everyone – like Josh Heifel, I like him. There's been a couple of times I've questioned him. Um, I mean, I like just to to our point there about him switching switching to the run and kind of the impressive thing that, that he's done. Like I'm my my biggest things have been situational. Shotgun on fourth down, hate it. Throw it in the trash, shoot it straight into the sun. I can't stand it. Um, like in actually in that Kentucky game, they. They were running down the clock on that final drive, and on one of the plays, they snapped the ball 15 seconds left. And I was like, uh, why, why did we do that? And then you were mitigating, like t- 10 seconds ended up coming in handy right at the end of the game. Now, thankfully, Kentucky <laughs> screwed themselves out of 10 seconds there, and that was good. But I was like, why did why didn't we just run it down? Yeah, you're talking so about where they huddled forever and then went up to the line and, and then, snapped yes. it. You could yeah, I don't have just know. Huddled for another fifteen seconds. I that some. But that's some one of those things like where you don't know is, is that a quarterback center communication thing on the field that happened that maybe Hypel's like, yeah, that's not the way we coach that, or was it Hypel? I don't know. I, I like Hypel personally to that question. I like I like Josh Hypel, like his persona, the way that he interacts in these interviews, and just the way you can tell that he talks to people and everything you've heard about the guy. I genuinely think he's a very likable person that people would enjoy just being around. He's not one of those people that you'd feel. I think you'd feel at ease around him. You know, like a Nick Saban or Kirby Smart. Some of these guys, you even it's not it's not their success. You just just kind of feel like on the edge around them. And Hypo seems like the type of person that puts you at ease. As far as the the decisions, I think there's I don't think there's a head coach period that you haven't questioned their decisions. Nick Saban made some dumb decisions at the end of Tennessee, Alabama last season steve spurrier the greatest college football coaches of all time that 2013 south carolina game made some dumb decisions that helped south carolina lose that game called like three consecutive timeouts or something absurd like good coaches make bad decisions he never lost to peyton manning and he lost to butch jones twice i mean it happens (laughs) yeah it it happens to the best of them the thing about hypo is sometimes you've heard him like we saw the little interaction at the end of the texas a&m game where he said i I almost effed it up or something like that and he's he's made comments about like yeah i don't i don't think that was probably the right decision there like he's not this whole i'm the smartest guy in the room and every decision i make is infallible and it just didn't work out kind of like jeremy pruitt or, or mike vrabel one of charlie's favorite coaches like you don't you don't get that vibe with Hypel at all. So I do like that aspect of, of, of Hypel. Yeah. Very, very has got to cut it out. Um, okay. Well, let's, let's do move on to just talking a little bit about the defense, but then also those penalties too, in this, uh, this next segment, right after I tell you about HelloFresh. 
our newest sponsor to the show with HelloFresh. You get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. When it comes to options with HelloFresh, more is more. That's why HelloFresh's menu includes 40 recipes and over 100 add-on items to choose from every week. A busy fall schedule doesn't always leave you with time to spare, and with HelloFresh, you don't need to spend all evening in the kitchen to, to whip up a wholesome meal with their quick and easy recipes and 15-minute meals. You can get a tasty dinner on the table in less time than it takes to get takeout or delivery. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50balls and use code 50balls for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. That is HelloFresh.com slash 50 vols and code 50 vols for 50% off and then 15% off your next two months. HelloFresh, that is America's number one meal kit. Go get your hands on some. HelloFresh. Um, so with the, the defense here, you can look at it charitably. And, and this is like the... Maybe I don't want Willie Martinez fired. Maybe Tim Banks did this on purpose where they're kind of looking at the realistic situation of their personnel and they're going, you're not going to beat us on the ground. You're not going to bomb it on us, but we'll give you that medium, you know, the medium portion of the field. That's the charitable version. Or you can burn them down and go like they got torched and they stink and <laughs> these guys suck. But I, I think ultimately, the the truth is probably more leaning much more towards that they realize the players that they have, and that's what they're doing. And then probably why Leary was able to toss it around the yard like he did. But my main criticism so far with the defense, I think, is that why. Are they always, always just playing the senior guys when you've got these young dudes in the wings? Do you, are they just, they're just not ready? Because you're playing senior guys that can't handle it. Why not play young guys that are your future who can't handle it? Well, that's, Is that mostly, stupid? that's mostly just in the secondary, though. In the, in the second, that's yeah, true. In, I should have mentioned that. In the secondary. In the secondary. And yeah. I do think that's uh, something that, that's been talked about with Tim Banks, that he very much prefers seniority. I think Willie Martinez is probably on board with that, it seems like. It might be a flaw because I, I think there's some of these guys that they weren't super highly rated recruits. They're not going to be quite as talented or as athletic, but I think he just trusts that they know the system. I think on Saturday night, my biggest criticism of Tim Banks was okay, Kentucky had this good game plan that maybe you weren't expecting. They're carving up your zone coverage. Where's the adjustment? Like, it never felt like the adjustment was made. And I know the pass rush has to get home, and they did start getting home more in the second half. Omar Norman Lott had a huge sack, came through on that play. But it wasn't what we've seen at various times uh, throughout the season, early in the season, in some of these games where they've just been dominant. Uh, Kentucky's right tackle, to his credit, held up pretty well against James Pierce on some of those pass rushing downs. I'm not sure about the secondary deal with the younger players. I question it too because it's like if these guys can play, you know, they can play. We saw Alante Taylor out there as a young guy, and he was one of the best, you know, DBs on the field for you. If you if you think you've got that type of talent, Alante Taylor is an NFL talent. You know, not every DB that comes out is going to be that that comes in is going to be that talented. 
but you got to put them out there and see what you got. It feels like in some of these situations, yeah. if they're more talented, then let them go out there and play. I mean, something you're going to have to learn by, from some of your mistakes, but the only way to learn from it is to be out there and actually make that mistake. It's easy to see a mistake that Danico Slaughter makes on tape if you're a young guy, but unless you're out there and you actually are in that moment and you know what it feels like and what you should have been doing, it's just so much different when you actually make the mistake and you can immediately learn from it and kind of self-correct. I I agree. Um, I, I don't think that's going to change this season though. And no, and to, you know, Timmy says they're inconsistent and, and Jason says, I don't know. I honestly just don't see much improvement in the secondary. They get exposed when pass rush does, doesn't show up. Um, yeah. I mean, I agree. They, when, when they get put on a little bit of an island and the pass rush doesn't get home, they look exactly like they looked last year. It just like that, the way that Leary was tossing around, it was super reminiscent of like that Florida game where Anthony Richardson just threw for like 400 yards against you. And, and you just go, it's so, like, it's easy. Of course, if you give them that much time and, and we're, we're covering them soft like that, of course he's, I could make some of those throws, you know, you, you end up looking at it kind of like that and uh, it, it's tough. But <laughs> did you notice, did you notice the one play where Roman Harrison ended up in coverage, like out in the flat or something, or not really out in the flat. Someone with Eric Beasley. Well, that's, that's pretty common, but there's at one point Roman Harrison, one of your pass rushers is in coverage for some reason. And that, yeah, what is that? That's not a recipe for success. So I don't, I don't know what went on there. I, I would hope that's not by design. Well, I, I was thinking there, there was one in particular Beasley got like he was in coverage and it was just I mean, it was just yeah, he hasn't been great. Like Keenan, that's where you miss Keenan Peely a lot. And I think he's not so. going to play in this UConn game because you saw in that Virginia game that that guy's he's a smart guy, but just he was much better in coverage uh, than some of the linebackers that Tennessee's had. And really, the way a lot of this offense is played in college football, you've got to have a linebacker that has some coverage steals. And as good as Beasley's been, that's just not been his strong suit. Just like it wasn't Jeremy Banks, a strong suit. And Keenan Peely was going to be able to deliver that. And I think that's it's obviously impacted the, the defense quite a bit, depth-wise, and just experience on the field. Because Keenan Peely, to me, was like an NFL-type player. And, and I don't know, you know if he comes back next season. He's got some decisions to make, but I'm not going to say he's going to have to be like a, a starter or a you know, star guy in the NFL, but he'd be on a roster. I think he has, you know, the awareness and the ability to to play at the next Agreed. level. Uh, I'm I'm starting to get worried that he's a he might be a you know out out for the season. Yeah, I think only, his injury only play was... enough to to get a red shirt or like you know. Because because the way like Hypel I believe you even said it there, but Hypel in his press conference today said said Keenan's going to have to make decisions for himself and for his family. Yeah. He put it that way today, and I was like, oh no, uh, uh, pretty I severe like injury. So you know maybe yeah. one of those that could have been deemed season ending at some point, but you know Hypel doesn't even like to throw that out there. I I hope not because I and yeah he he was just really good and i think a really good pickup that's that could ultimately end up going going to waste if he if he doesn't come back and doesn't i or, think he uh, could have helped a lot on some of these quarterback scrambles and some of these plays where tennessee's got burnt and given up kind of big yardage in these third and long situations i mean they almost gave up i mean they were in like third and 21 on that first fourth down and kentucky punted that time which surprised me the next time they went for it and they didn't get it and it 
rewatching that, Ray Davis was pretty close to that first down marker. I'm shocked that they didn't try to challenge that. You know how Tennessee's luck kind of goes with some of those challenges, though the <laughs> the one on the sideline catch did go in Tennessee's favor for once, which yeah. kind of shocked me. Well, let's talk about that. So the officiating in this game, and at this point, it's really, I would say, all three SEC road games so far have an interesting um, theme to them. I believe the stat that I saw is in the three SEC road games, there has been one post-snap penalty called on Tennessee's opponent. One in three SEC road games. That being, you know, a holding, a pass interference, so whatever that may be. Now, correct correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I didn't fact check, but I obviously we know for sure that that's true about Alabama and Kentucky, because in those two games, there was zero post-snap penalties. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know about the Florida game. Just, just sitting here looking at the box score. They had five penalties for only 30 yards, so that would indicate mostly uh, yep. pre-snap penalties though, that, you know, in offsides could be in there perhaps, which I don't know how you would deem that necessarily, but I guess that would be procedural. But it, that, nothing, there, there clearly was no holding or pass interference called on Florida. Yeah, yeah, not no no 15 yards per, 10 yards per. Um, and so, you know, there's been kind of a feeling of like, what's what's going on here? And I think t- Tennessee fans really felt the need to speak up because they won this one. And there was some really glaring holds that were missed, PIs that were missed, some things like that, where you just look and you go like, what, what are we doing here? If we're not going to play within the bounds of the rules, what are we doing? Um, and, you know, we're not, we're not complaining because we uh, clearly it didn't cost Tennessee to lose. They won. But what are we doing? I, I And I think it was probably kind of smart of Tennessee fans to wait until after a win where you really saw it there, where you can point this out because it, it you know doesn't make you seem like a sore loser. No, but, we we're pretty loud about it after the Alabama game. Oh, fair. for sure, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but I I said I said with that Alabama game, the refs didn't make you give up twenty seven points in the second fair, half, you know. Fair. And and that's that is not the refs' fault, even though there were some really really egregious non calls and things like that in that game, but. Uh, you know, there's kind of been this, is there, is there a little bit of a conspiracy against Heupel or something like this? I think the one, the one that I could subscribe to, I I don't like the conspiracy things because here's the deal. Officiating sucks in all of college football, the officiating blows. Mm -hmm. Now there could be an element of this where Heupel is not, you know, in the refs here enough. You, you really see that a lot in basketball, like a lot. The the refs sometimes will be deferential to coaches that just ride them in games. Um, and I, there's varying levels of success to that, and maybe, but I see him. I see him get after the refs, right? Yeah, and I mean, Seems last like, year when he got on to uh, the ref in the Orange Bowl for not for standing over the ball several times and not snapping it. They hit him with a sideline penalty, and right, you know, they always have that in their back pocket that. It can really hurt you in some crucial situations. So I don't know. I don't know if there's any if there's something to that or not. I know that you hear these opposing fan bases kind of throwing shade at Tennessee fans about complaining. The fact of the matter is that Kentucky is one of the most penalized teams in the country, and 
there isn't one post snap penalty called on them. Have Al- same thing against Alabama and pretty much the same thing against Florida. Yet Tennessee's getting called for all these penalties. You're not you're not saying that Tennessee's penalties are you know egregious or, or egregiously called. They're not. They're correctly called, right? Like except for that one hold on Gabe Judy Lally against Alabama that I thought was pretty ticky tack. For the most part, they're penalties that they're committing. Some of them dumb penalties. It's like they're sure not missing those on Tennessee, though, are they? Like the only penalty I've seen really missed was that face mask on Tyler Barron against Texas A&M. And you live with that to some extent. It's frustrating in the moment, but you do live with there are going to be missed calls. And more often than not, you're going to get the benefit of some of those, too. And I'm sure there's been a time or two that you could probably point out besides like the Tyler Barron thing that Tennessee's got away with something. But when it's this like blatant that Tennessee's getting eight, nine, ten penalties a game and their opponents just all just magically playing clean all of a sudden when that hasn't been the characteristic of, of those teams the entire season, it just doesn't add up. And it's like, why? Why is this happening? I'm with you. I'm not a conspiracy guy. I don't really buy into that at all. But it's very frustrating to see happen. And you can't just like it just can't keep happening. And Hypo can't say that much in these post-game pressers. Like I remember when Lane Kiffin was loudly complaining after the 2009 Alabama game and got reprimanded by the SEC. I think it was Mike Slav might've been the commissioner back then. It was like, if you say something else, you're going to be suspended. Like you don't want to dance that line and get in that headline at all because it looks bad. Other, other programs use that against you. Like you're complaining and whining. You could hurt your team by being suspended. It becomes a whole story. You don't want that. There's no benefit to Josh Heupel going off in officials after the games. I, I think his silence and his no comment says all that needs to be said. And it's better than just brushing it off and saying, well, that's why we didn't lose the game or, or something cliche like that. So I, I, I don't really know what else he can do. And that's the frustrating part because it's, there's no transparency. There's absolutely zero transparency with any of this. They submit plays. We, media, fans, you never really hear anything about it. You don't know if there's a resolution or what's being said, it just, the SEC just has no transparency and they rarely ever discipline an SEC officiating career. I think that happened as well in 2009 where they called some penalties that shouldn't have been penalties. And they, they suspended one crew for a couple of games. It's like the only time you can ever remember that happening. It, it has to happen at some point. Elias and Titans YouTuber here, they're saying it'd be interesting if the SEC were to publish officiating grades for individual games, and the Titans said they should, uh, re- refs should be held accountable. They can change the whole game. Yeah, I. There needs to be that. There has to be at some point for this to improve, and it just perpetually seems like. And and I think you would get this take out of the fan base of any given SEC team. At some point, we when are we going to reckon with this? Like, come on, Sankey. Come on. Like, this, there's, again, I don't think there's a conspiracy here, here because the, the officiating in the SEC as a whole just blows. If it didn't suck across the board like it does, I might feel differently. Because, yeah, I mean, the, the officiating in the last two games for Tennessee, it's a, been a little coincidental, for sure, in a way that makes me raise my eyebrows and kind of go, huh? Really? Really? No post-snap penalties in two full games for you know from a couple of teams that get penalized a lot. Really? But it's at the same time, 
the officiating just sucks out loud across the entire league, and there's never, never any reckoning with it at all from Sankey. And and the coaches can't talk about, oh, we're going to get fined. Why? Why would that? That's always been the dumbest that is thing absurd. to me. You should you should be able to take the officiating to task. We're we're allowed to take the coach to task when he screws up. That's the entire point of the media. But we can't take the freaking efficient, you know, the officiating crews and rake them over the coals when they stink. I've always thought that's stupid at, at everything. But I'm yeah, it's it's just terrible. And I think every every SEC school probably feels this just in these last couple of weeks. It's been particularly egregious for Tennessee and there needs to be something if there is some sort of conspiracy the only thing I would even begin to buy into would be the gambling aspect anyways and Mm. that could be a very real thing to some Mm -hmm. extent across all of sports not that's not a Tennessee thing that's everything like there's a human element to these games and there's a lot of money riding on every single thing and if you think somebody's not trying to tilt I mean it's happened before it's happened plenty we've seen NBA refs that whole scandal with uh whatever the guy's name was back in the mid-2000s. I mean, these things do happen. People do try to get to them. I think there's, you know, a lot of refs with with a lot of integrity, most of them, the majority of them. But we're all humans. If you think that somebody can't be gotten to, like you're, you're kind of foolish. And I'm not going to sit here and say that's what's going on by any means, but that would be the only thing that I would remotely buy into. I don't think there's some sort of conspiracy about – keeping Tennessee down or, or wanting Alabama to win. I, I don't think that's it at all. I think the SEC likes the parody. In fact, I think they want more parody. I think they want to see a South Carolina or a Tennessee or an Ole Miss kind of rise to the occasion and give Georgia and Alabama some, some competition there. For sure. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I don't know what it is, but come like, come on at a certain point, we got to do something. Um, but they're not gonna. <laughs> Sankey, Sankey's not gonna do it. He's making money hand over fist. So why would he need it's like to the change pass interference thing? Anything. Like nobody even knows what pass interference has become like targeting at this point, where nobody yeah. really knows what constitutes pass interference. It's it's muddied it so much in my mind that I can't even watch a play objectively and really think about should this be pass interference or not because it it's such a moving target. You really don't know, and it's just well, did they throw the flight or not? You know, did they get that one or not? That's that's really what it's come down to. Yeah, everything is PI and nothing is PI all at the same time. <laughs> I, I have no, I, yeah, I could not agree more. Uh, it's ridiculous. But um, any uh, anything else, Zach, about uh, that game before we move on to a little bit of basketball? Had a top ten amazing exhibition game with the ball basketball team. But anything about uh, football left that you think we we might have missed? No, I mean it's just Kentucky is. Is like uh, we are to Florida. It, it, no matter what, First. Tennessee finds a way. And this can, did you see any of the Kentucky like sports radio stuff? Those guys, oh yeah, lost their oh, minds. They, they they couldn't handle it. And look, I know we're the same way against Florida. I don't think we we don't lose our minds in that aspect. We kind of resigned ourselves. So well, there's another one in the swamp that that, that didn't go our way. But it's always amazing to watch those guys act surprised that they've lost to Tennessee yet again. It. So I listened as I always do. It is a tradition unlike any other. Listening to Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones uh, after any any catastrophic Kentucky loss, but obviously it's a beautiful cherry on top when it's to Tennessee. Uh, there's been some really good ones after some basketball games in recent years, and some really good ones after football games. 
Um, but this one, man, it was just kind of sad. <laughs> they, they really, uh, it was a lot of just being resigned to like, we're just kind of a, like a poverty program and we're just never like, we got to just concentrate on basketball because we're never going to win the big one in football. It was just a lot of that. And they were just kind of talking circles around like, how can we justify 8 million bucks for Stoops when he can never win an actually big game and all these things. And then, I mean, Matt, Matt Jones, I think some people put it on Twitter. There was a clip where he just is like, who do we think we are? Who do we think we are? We're Kentucky. We're not, <laughs> we're not Alabama. We're not Georgia. We're Kentucky. And like, there's a clip of him saying that in that show. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you're you're uh you're not wrong. I mean, you yeah. know, Mark Stoops definitely you. uh definitely hit the Kentucky ceiling. And credit to him, he's done more there than most coaches ever have. And and I like I like Mark Stoops. I have nothing against the guy. I enjoy hearing him talk. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's done as well as he possibly could there. But that's 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 about what you're going to get. You know, you might get the occasional ten win season, but this is pretty much it for Kentucky. Yep, you just have a ceiling. It just is what it is. Well, let's talk a little basketball, but I, I did, I do want to say, I, I appreciate it. Adam and Titans YouTuber both had nice comments here. They said, I love listening to these guys. Always good stuff. Titan said, yeah, these guys are who I go to for volunteer talk. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you to, to everybody for listening. Seriously. Uh, it's the best comments have, have been killer all season long. Um, and, and thank you for watching. Now let's talk a little vol basketball right after I tell you about rattle and snap Tennessee whiskey. Nothing goes better with a Tennessee sports victory than a great whiskey. And I am talking specifically about rattle and snap Tennessee select straight whiskey. Rattle and snap is a whiskey for those who make their own luck. There is a four year and an eight year version of rattle and snap whiskey had both. They are both great. Uh, they go great in cocktails. Great. Neat in a glass too. You're going to want to get your hands on some. They're in stores across the state of Tennessee, but they're also in Kentucky, Indiana, and Mississippi. Run! Don't walk to get yourself some Rattle and Snap whiskey for those Tennessee sports victories, like the one we watched on Saturday over Kentucky, and like the one that we watched Tennessee basketball have uh, on Sunday over Michigan State. Oh, and follow Rattle and Snap on Instagram, at Rattle and Snap Whiskey. Thanks to them for helping out the boys. Uh... But Tennessee played this exhibition game. It was a charity game for Maui. Obviously, unbelievable wildfires in, in Maui that just mowed down an entire portion of that island. It was horrific. Um, and this was a charity thing to support that very much needed. And I thought that was great. And this was so cool. Like, the entire setup of this game, it was an exhibition game, but... Both teams played their real rosters. Tennessee was without Santiago Vescovi and, and uh, without Zakai Ziegler. Zakai Ziegler still coming back from uh, from blowing out his knee. Santiago Vescovi, I believe his his grandmother is ill, and he had to go back to Uruguay. So uh, prayers prayers to his family there. Um, but Tennessee was without them. But Michigan State played played their whole roster. Played, you know, they they came out with the stars in this game, and it was rocking. It was a like a real road game, and just a super impressive thing. I thought it was amazing, and it's amazing experience for both of those teams to to in the preseason be able to play a real game against a real opponent and and actually like feel pressure and and you know just kind of gut it out in a game like that. I thought it was so cool, and Tennessee won. <laughs> Tennessee 
squeaked it out. I believe 89-88 on a on a quite literal last second free throw from Justin Ganey. Um, did you did you get to watch this game? I know you were you were doing kids uh, kids baseball practices and stuff, right? Yeah, I was at a, a baseball tournament pretty much all day. Most of what I was watching was was NFL on my iPad. I was kind of like you with with some or with you at the Kentucky game catching some updates and kind of looking at everything after. And I did like my first question for you was like, how much do you take away from a big win like that? Because that's a lot of points for Tennessee to give up considering their defense. And then without Vescovy and Ziegler playing who is this team do you know yet how does all that fit back in there's a lot of questions that i have after after a game like that as far as you know it's exhibition but like you said it's a it's almost like a regular season kind of march you know vibe that you get the juices going and you're playing in that game you want to win like you can just say oh it's an exhibition game but you get in that kind of atmosphere competitors compete like you want to go out there and win the game so what was your big takeaway from that as far as how much we stock we should put into it moving forward into the season? I, I take away a lot, first of all, because again, I mean, Michigan State played their dudes. This was not them just putting the scrubs out there and it was just, oh, we're having fun and this is for charity. It was for charity and it was fun. And they they did some cool things like they they talked to Barnes and, and uh, why am I blanking on? Michigan State's coach, Izzo. Uh, Tom, Izzo. Tom Izzo. They talked to Tom Izzo during the game, and they even it was kind of funny. Like they brought in both of them at the same time, and they like talked to each other during the game. Uh, it was kind of cool. I, I actually I really really liked that element of it, and it was interesting to hear kind of their thoughts. Obviously, they were not as intense as they would have been in a regular season or postseason game. Um, but no, I mean the entire thing, the place was sold out, and it was absolutely raucous. Packed to the hilt with crazy students right on top of you. I mean, Michigan State has a proper setup with their students. No, no offense to Danny White. I hate the setup with the students, Tennessee. Put them next to the court. You know, really give them a chance to bear down on teams. I hate that. Uh, but, I mean, it it was the real deal. And Tennessee just flashed. Like, came out, I believe, 17-1 to 1 early in the game. And obviously, folks are already bringing it up in, in the comments here. Mr. Jones and, and Elias all mentioned it. Uh, Dalton Connect. Oh, let's. I had the, the box score here 28 points, seven rebounds, four assists. And then hey, he was a monster. And he threw down a monster jam right on somebody's head that was just beautiful. He was incredibly physical, he was great shooting the ball. And if that's any indication of what we're going to see going forward, I mean, he did it against Michigan State. It's not like he did it against some bum team, like like you're about to play in some of these other exhibitions or or the one exhibition and then some of the warm up games you have. Uh, no, I mean it, this is real competition, and he he clowned him on some of these plays. And then Justin Ganey, who's a coach's kid, I I mean this was sorry Jordan Jordan Ganey, Justin Ganey is his dad. Uh, I mean he's a coach's kid. And he 20, 20 points, six assists, three rebounds. He went off and he was great from three point. Uh, and I think he'll he'll be a killer spot up shooter. Connect will be too. Killer spot up shooter that could be facilitated Which by the guy and by Santi. He really missed oh, last season. They, well, they wanted Tyreek Key to be that all last season. They really wanted him to be, you know, come in from off the bench and go make some buckets. And he 
just it just never came together. I think either one of those guys, well, Connect Connect's going to be a starter. I think Ganey is probably yeah, going to come off the bench. What do you think? Yeah, that's what I want to know. Like with, with Vestavy and then Ziegler, who sounds like he's much closer to playing than I ever thought he would be this early in the season. I mean, what do you think? How do, how do you see the starting five? What do you think is ideal? How does that? I mean, it's going to take a few games probably to shake out to figure out how because Barnes hasn't really been able to play Ziegler in those spots yet. How do you think all that should shake out or does shake out? You have a ton of options here. The depth on this basketball team is really, really impressive. Um, especially if you end up bringing in like a, this guy has apparently been kind of in, in the doghouse with Barnes, but like a DJ Jefferson. I mean, he just, he didn't see supposedly a, an incredible physical specimen, but is had some, I don't know, behavioral stuff in the offseason. I don't know. Barn, Barnes kind of alluded to it in some of his press conferences. But like him, J.P. Estrella, another young guy that, that you're not sure exactly what you're going to see from him. But like some of those dudes, you you can get all the way down to those levels and, and probably find some production. And then in that starting five, it's really seven or eight. I mean, just take your pick. Jonas Adu, Josiah Jordan-James, Santi, Zakai, I would assume that when they're all healthy, all of them will be starters. Connect probably the fifth there. Then Toby off the bench. Maybe because Toby didn't look as crisp and as developed as I thought he would Toby Awaka. Um, but it's a you know, exhibition game to start the season off. You you never really know. He let's what did he put up? Eight eight points, four rebounds. Like it was just kind of eh. But I, I think he'll come off the bench behind uh behind Adu. And and you just work it down from there. I mean, Dillioni looked, or however you say say his last name, Dillione. Not totally sure. Uh, Jemai Meshack. I mean, maybe Meshack started in that game. I'm not sure if it would be him, Josiah Jordan, James. I you just got you got a lot of options, and that's just the truth with this team. And I'm not sure exactly where Barnes is going to go, but you walked into Izzo's house, and you didn't just beat him. You kind of just ran that game from front to back went wire to wire. They never trailed. They, the game <laughs> Michigan state tied the game with like four seconds left. Uh, and then fouled Justin Ganey by accident. Um, and, and he made the free throw to win, but, uh, yeah, I, I was incredibly impressed. I thought it was an amazing warm up. I think it's so great that they got that, that experience to start. And I'm, I'm excited. I, I am very, very intrigued by what I saw. And all of a sudden, you know, you had a bunch of like national pundits going, oh, Tennessee might be a final four team. Look at what they just did going to Michigan State and this and that. So well, we'll see. Could could this be the one that Rick breaks through with? No, I mean, maybe the talent's there. You got to keep everybody healthy and, and hope everybody gels the right way. Because in college basketball, I've always thought some of the best teams, you, the depth is nice, but I think you really got to settle in on like a eight nine man rotation at most like that always usually feels to me like the sweet spot where everybody kind of knows their role knows when they're coming in who they're coming in for they're getting minutes it can be tough when you're not getting minutes to play that that's what i'm interested to see how barnes balances the playing time because you are super deep and you do have these guys that you want to get in you know do you do you you know limit josiah jordan james minutes a little bit to keep him healthier uh, just there's a lot of there's a lot of options there, and I'm I'm interested to see how it all shakes out. And it could take a few weeks, I think, for that to to kind of happen. 
I think it will. You got you got some tough games early on in the season. You got to go to North Carolina. You got to go to Wisconsin. I believe it's always a and tough place to play. the The Mallet Invitational is happening. Um, even though that gym is in Lahaina, where all of that stuff happened, I don't know the. I I believe uh, that's happening. Um, at least I haven't heard that it's canceled or anything. But the Mallet uh, Invitational live from Santa Barbara or something. Maybe because that that's what they did during COVID. I actually never looked this up. What are they doing? Uh, maybe it is just regular and it's uh and it's just happening yeah i mean I, I don't see any like news about it being put off or even moved necessarily but uh regardless oh and yeah elias says they have lenore rhine tomorrow um which i believe is a it's a it's an exhibition it's a warm-up it's not a regular season game and then tennessee tech is the actual opening game probably should have looked that up before having this entire segment. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm just really, really excited. Yeah, November 6th against Tennessee Tech is their first opening game there. Oh, that Wisconsin game is next Friday night, November 10th, 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. That'll, be a, that'll be a fun one. Yeah. You'll need a lot of good Friday night basketball games like that. And and I, of course, I'm a, I'm a junkie. I'm a, a rare one in the Tennessee <laughs> fan base. I'm like, you know give me whatever college basketball game you have. And I will sit down in front of my TV and watch it. Uh, I, but yeah, I'm, I'm just excited. I I think it's, uh, it's a very interesting set of dudes that have a lot of talent and could probably really, I I mean, you you just, you look at that. They're going to be able to put up a fight a bit against anybody top to bottom across the entire country. I I don't think that you're going to find a team where you'll go, oh no, Tennessee couldn't at least have a chance to to beat them. And that's hey, that's all all you could really ask for. And hopefully they really do bring it together because oh, I want it so badly. I want literally nothing more than a, a final four. Uh that was always a talking point when I did radio. When you get deep into like the the off season, they're like, which one would you rather have? A final four or a Nash uh, or a playoff for football. I'm a final. It's like, four. The old, uh, it's like the old Mount Rushmore conversation that you got to have oh, in yeah. uh, June or something. I I love 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 football, and I want nothing more than to see them get back to the playoff. But I mean, we have never, never seen Tennessee basketball reach a final four. Please, before before I go in the ground, <laughs> Lord, please let me see a final four for the Tennessee Volunteers. And maybe this year is it. Hope springs eternal. Um, let's finish with some predictions. And we're, we're going to do, obviously, we'll, we'll predict the Tennessee-UConn game. I mean, hopefully it's just a blowout. But we'll, we'll also predict there's some interesting games around the country that, uh, that we'll talk about, too, in the final segment of the show. But first, I got to tell you about Farm Bureau Health Plans. Farm Bureau Health Plans have been serving Tennesseans for over 75 years. Much has changed in Tennessee over the years, but some has stayed the same. Farm Bureau Health Plans has always valued personal relationships, especially when it comes to good health and good service. Plan on Farm Bureau Health Plans for health, dental, and vision. For better coverage, better rates, and better service, go to fphb.com slash ATOZ or walk into one of their 200-plus locations across the state. That is fbhp.com slash ATOZ. Farm Bureau Health Plans. All right, so Tennessee, UConn, you know, 
choose your number. Tennessee, I believe, is a 35-point favorite in this game. Uh, heavy, heavy favorite. Um, what say you, Zach? How, how do you think Tennessee is going to fare against Jim Mora's team, former UCLA coach Jim Mora? Yeah, I, th- I think UConn plays tough. They play hard. I don't think they're going to be like Austin P. though. I don't think they're going to switch up their home whole game plan. They try to beat Tennessee. So I, I don't know. I, I think Tennessee covers. I think they'll win like 45 to 7. I, I think they might not really struggle in the first quarter, but it might take a couple of drives to really open things up. Then they'll just kind of put UConn away. Yep. I, I think Tennessee will run all over. UConn and that's why I don't and that's why I don't think that the score will be like in the 60s I think they'll run the ball a lot and maybe not use their tempo quite as much because we have seen them several times this season not use tempo uh, or not as much tempo or go quite as fast they're pretty fast a few times against Kentucky but I think they'll slow things down a little bit get out of there might see Nico in that game. I think you do need to see Nico Uh, has nothing to do with this season but I think you want some game reps for him Obviously, the red shirt. I think he, he's going. He's going to be fine for that. But I don't think that red shirt will ever come into play. I, I think you hope that that red shirt never ever comes into play. I hope you. I think you hope he's so good that it's a no brainer that he's going to the NFL after his red shirt sophomore season, if that's what it ends up being. I with this game. I mean, my my number one hope is get up by thirty five and give the people what they want. Let us see Nico. Let the man play. And let him, like, play. Yeah, he needs the reps. Like, there's no substitute for game reps. No. I mean, we we already, we talked about it earlier in this show. You cannot replicate having played in a live game, college football game. You You just can't. And, like, it shows with Joe Milton. The more he's played... So far, he he has progressed by playing in in real games, and he's twenty nine years old. He's or whatever. He's I don't know. He's twenty three or four, um, and and has been around college football for a really long time. And you just can't you can't replicate it. So get up thirty five to three and put this man in the football game and let him and don't just put him in to hand the ball off. Let the man throw the football. And, and let us really see what he can do and get him reps for next year. Yeah, those are going to be his Lord receivers. Knows. You need him. Caleb Webb, Chaz Nimrod, you know, probably yes. Dante Thornton. Please. One more year of Storer White. Like, he's, these are the guys he's going to be throwing the ball to. He needs he needs reps with him. Nathan Leacock, get him in, in some action. We haven't seen him yet. He hasn't taken a single snap yet this season. Let's let's see some of those young guys, get them some reps. Got to take care of business to make it happen, but I think Tennessee will. I think they will, too. I... You just look at the way that they disposed of like UTSA and uh, you had that, like you said, that one weird game against Austin P where they just did such weird, like crackhead nonsense. And I don't <laughs> think that'll happen. Um, so I'll, I'll say 52 to 10. I'll say say UConn. UConn scores 10. I'll give him that. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I got 45-7. You got 52-10. That yeah. They cover. So we both think we they both cover. say yeah, we both say Tennessee covers, and I hope let two of those touchdowns be at the hands of Nico Iomaliava. Or as Mr. Jones calls him, I am a believer. I like um it. okay. Some of these other games. 
just before we bounce out of here, because this this is what everybody kind of wants to talk about, because if Georgia loses to Missouri and Tennessee beats Missouri, that game against Georgia will be for the SEC East. As crazy as that might be, and kind of as outside of a chance as it might be, uh, that's real. That's a real thing. Um, do you think Missouri can do it? I believe it's at, at Georgia. It's in Athens. So yeah, I, I yeah. absolutely do not think that Missouri wins this game. I don't really think it ends up even being that close. Missouri hasn't really played like they've played well. Like I'll give it to Drinkwitz. They he has them playing well and and not losing some games that they've lost in the past. But their best win is Kentucky, Kansas State early in the season. Kentucky. South Carolina's trash. Florida, yeah, they haven't played Florida. I'm sorry. They play them later in the season. Vanderbilt, not that great. Memphis, Middle Tennessee, South Dakota. Like, you haven't played anybody that that's a championship contender, that's a top 10 quality team, really. I don't know. It's in Athens, like you said. It's What is it? It's the 330 game. We've seen what Athens is like in the 330 game. And Georgia fans, they haven't really had – a lot of reason to get rowdy yet at all this season. And if God forbid Georgia is not number one in the first college football playoff rankings, which I've seen some people suggest that they might not be just kind of like last season, right before Tennessee played Georgia, that that's all the edge Kirby smart needs to go out there and get these guys motivated to destroy Missouri. And there was that Missouri game last season where Georgia kind of looked, I mean, they beat them handedly but they didn't really play that well it was a weird game in columbia the vibe was weird i don't know if that's motivation or not kirby finds every little thing he can i think they blow him out i don't think it's that close at all i do too i if it was at missouri maybe i think it's close because it was it was weird and close last year and just kind of strange and you know missouri is one of those places where like Hopes and dreams go to die. Even it's a for... weird place. The the vibes always weird. The camera angles weird. I hate watching games there. Uh, I, I dread the one coming up that we have no clue what time it'll be at yet. Dream dreams go to die there. Even for people that play football for Missouri. <laughs> um, I yeah, I I think Georgia's gonna wipe the floor. Then they're gonna come. They're gonna kick in the door, waving the four four. You know, it's gonna be a gonna be a blowout. Um. Otherwise, I believe you have. What are some of the other SEC games? Ole, uh, Ole Miss, because this is Georgia's other opponent before they see Tennessee, is Ole Miss again in Athens? Uh, but oh, who they play Texas A&M? Texas A&M and this, in Oxford. And this is really one that for Jimbo Fisher, I I don't want to say that it's like a, it's kind of a savior butt game. Like, this is one where if he wins it, you're going, okay, he's definitely back. He, for sure. He's coming back. He won that game and whatever. Uh, and there's been a lot about a lot of talk about Ole Miss. Oh, man, this is another going to be another 10-2 and two season for Kiffin, yada, yada. Kind of like you said with Missouri. I mean, who who you beaten? Show, show me something on paper where you've really done something impressive. The one, obviously, would be LSU um, come from His behind. Defense is win. just absolutely garbage. Terrible, terrible. Um, yeah. So I, uh, 
I think Ole Miss wins that game. And then is too. is that a nail in the coffin for Texas A&M? I, I mean, it, might. it is a noon game, so, you know, but it could be uh, weird. I don't think that comes into play. Texas A&M hasn't really played that great at home either. So I don't, I don't think the crowd is what's really causing them to lose games or win games. Uh, it could be close. You never know with Lane, man. He's such a wild card. He's had some good teams that just go out there and lay complete eggs sometimes, and then he'd show up and blow somebody out. I think Jimbo has no clue what he's doing. The Bobby Petrino experiment is, is not really working out the way he probably envisioned, but I think it's working out the way the rest of us kind of thought it would. But, yeah, I think uh, I think Ole Miss pretty, handles them pretty easily. I do, too. Oh, am I – looks like I'm – am I frozen? Can you see yeah, it? you're just in that one. one yeah, you know, it's like you're looking at something intently. Well, hopefully, I I don't look stupid on the other end because I, I you, you can't so see you can't see what I, I so it's just completely frozen on mine and like the comments. You like you're about to Google me. something. Uh, well, I was looking at the schedules. Uh, at at what else is you know what else is happening on Saturday? Somebody JSR in the comments says, "Am I a Vols fan?" Is that a real question? Do I? I did uh, go to Tennessee a couple of times and lived in Knoxville my entire life. And uh, yes, the answer to that question is yes, I am. Um, this is the last one. Then we'll bounce out of here, Zach. LSU, Alabama. Can And, and actually, I'm going to, because I don't think I'll be able to end the stream because it's frozen. I'm going to throw this to you, log out really quick, and then log back in. But I'll I'll throw it to you. LSU, Alabama. Is that is Alabama finally going to get God here? It's in Tuscaloosa. What what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I don't know. This is a tough one to pick. Like I wouldn't place a wager on this game. I think it's you know it's a revenge game for for LSU. I mean for Alabama, obviously after what happened last season, losing to LSU, that was kind of a factor in that Tennessee game. I do think it gave Alabama a bit of an edge. LSU's offense, like I don't know if Alabama's going to be able to stop them or not. I tend to think the night game in Tuscaloosa, Alabama fans are getting kind of restless, and I think they're going to show up and, and make things a problem. And as bad as uh, LSU's defense has been, I, I kind of think Alabama will get the job done. I don't, I don't think it's quite the end of Saban yet. So I think they'll, uh, I think they'll take care of business. It all looks like we did. We have lost Charlie, so he is uh, gone. So check us out on YouTube. Check us out on all the socials. You know where to find us, youtube.com, A-Z Sports, live stream. Is, oh, is there Charlie's back? Oh, we can't hear him. Just, oh, just he's barely. there. He's there. <laughs> this this happened last time. This happened with me and Crump. This is so annoying. I I don't know what the deal is, but you were handling it well there. You, I could hear you're about to sign off. Who'd you say? Who's, who's going to win? You have to watch to find out. You gotta watch the video to find out, okay. Charlie. No. That's fair. <laughs> I I think I think Alabama will take care of business despite LSU's high powered offense. I think they'll uh I think they'll handle it. I think the night game, I think that's what kind of puts it in Alabama's favor. I agree. I and the revenge uh, factor. Yes. I mean, just it's it's kind of like with us this year. At Alabama, it might be dicey for a minute there. LSU has a really good offense. But I, I just think ultimately Alabama has figured it out a little bit. Are, are they good enough to beat like a Georgia? Nah. Is anybody good enough to beat Georgia, frankly? Is I the winner know. of this game uh, pretty much the winner of the SEC West? Is that how, or is Ole Miss still going to be a factor there? 
Alabama would have that? to lose, wouldn't they? I think yeah. so. Because their only yep. loss is to Texas. So, yep. And they they beat Ole Miss. Um, <sighs> stupid Alabama. They won't. Even when it feels like they're going to go away, they won't go away. <laughs> Sad. Ah, that that's that's Nick Saban for you. All right. It is. Charlie Burris, Zach Reagan. Uh, hopefully, my computer won't freeze uh, on the next show. But if it does, we'll work it out. Uh, thank you for watching. Seriously, to everybody. Means the world. We, we can't thank you enough. You're, you're the reason we get to do this show and that the show stays free and that we get sponsors for it. So y'all are amazing. Uh, thanks again. Uh, you know, where follow us on everything. Do all the stuff. A to Z sports.com for all the stuff that Zach writes. And uh, we will talk to y'all next week. See you guys later.